some uh, players of the NFL being interviewed, when NFL players are asked the question, what's the greatest difference between the college game and the pro game, their answer usually is one word, speed, speed. This enhanced speed of the game requires cornerbacks and safeties uh, to make sure that they watch the quarterback's eyes Uh, because you throw where you're looking unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick Mahomes doesn't, uh, doesn't always throw where he's looking, which is one of the things that makes him such a good quarterback. But the better quarterbacks in the NFL learn very early. They know how to look off the, the defensive backs and safeties by not fixing their eyes or focusing upon where they want to throw the ball. Uh, because of the speed of the NFL, if a quarterback drops back and he's look, he, and he's, he's just, he just got a laser look at the guy he's going to throw to, he's probably going to get intercepted because those DBs are looking to see where those eyes are focused upon. And the good ones know how to look. Uh, if you've ever watched uh, 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 Brady play, Brady will look off, look off, look off, look off, look off and, and throw. And usually, usually that's who he's intended to throw in, in, in the first place. And while this is, this is good, if you want to be a successful NFL quarterback, uh, not focusing on where you're wanting to throw the ball is a good thing. For believers, the opposite is true. Believers who faithfully persevere, believers who have a life that ends up counting for the Lord, and when they stand before Him, will hear, hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. Believers who faithfully persevere are those who live their lives with a fixed focus. Their eyes are fixed. But living with a fixed focus on Christ is difficult. And and you know why. The hardships of life, the trials of life, the persecution and the suffering that that occupy the peripheral vision uh, 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 of our lives, that that they're constantly there. They're they're, they're constantly uh, in the peripheral vision of our lives. Sometimes they're right out in the front of our lives. But these things that are constantly occupying our, our peripheral vision... Uh, we are tempted to switch our gaze uh, with those fleeting glances of what is happening around us. It reminds me, again, if you're doing the summer Bible reading, uh, when that long ago, this week, some, one of these days this week, uh, reading about Peter uh, walking on the water. And you, remember, you remember the story, and, and uh, Jesus invites him to come, and Peter goes, and, and, and he, he, he takes his eyes off of the Lord. And the minute he takes his eyes off the Lord, because the, the, he's, the wind, he's seeing the effects of the wind, and, and the waves as they're rising, and the moment he does that, he begins to sink. He begins to sink. And, and, and it's a beautiful picture of, uh, of us walking on the water of life. And that there's all these things that are around us that, 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 are, that are wanting us to, to, to focus our attention upon them rather than upon the Lord. So how can we fix our focus? And, and, and there's a double meaning. Every time I say that phrase, there's a double meaning. How can we fix it to the place where maybe our focus isn't where it needs to be? But also, how can we fix it to make sure that our focus stays where it needs to be? We need to fix it, and we need to fix it. Well, as you recall, in the preceding verses that we've looked at, uh, verses 1 through 12 uh, of 1 Peter, which is kind of his introduction, his opening, that that Peter has sought to encourage these displaced refugee believers. 
Again, uh, I'm, I'm saying things that you hopefully have, got, have gotten stuck in your mind. These, these are believers who have been torn away from everything that they've known. They've been torn away from their home. They've been torn away from their livelihood. And, and most importantly, they've been torn away from the fellowship of believers. They've been scattered all throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in a land that they're not familiar with, uh, not going there without any kind of employment. Uh, they're not able to meet together like they once did because they're scattered everywhere. The Roman government scattered them everywhere. And, 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 and he talks to them to try to encourage these d- d- displaced believers. He's reminded them about their identity. Their identity as the chosen of God who are foreigners in a culture from which they are not to withdraw but to engage without assimilating uh, to that culture. Uh, that he also reminded them of their privileged status and, and, and of their common heritage. And, and he's, he's reminding them about who they are. This is who you are. You, you're, not, you're, you're more than just these earthly markers. You're more than just these earthly identifiers. You're more than just, just people that have been ripped away from your, from your home and from, from everything that you've known throughout your whole life. You're, you're more than that. Yes, that's, that, 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 that's true of your experience. Yes, that's true of what you're going through. But you have been chosen by God. And you have these these great privileges that that He's talked about there in the the verses that we have studied. Uh, But He also talked to them about and reminded them about the the promise of perseverance, the salvation of their souls, obtaining, He said in verse 9, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we talked about that, that He's not talking about when I die, I go to heaven. But the idea of the salvation of our souls has to do that, that, that our, our lives, our, our lives count for something. Our lives count for Christ. Regardless of the circumstances that we're facing, our, our life is having an impact for the kingdom of God. But not just that, but the fact that the salvation of our souls, not only is there a current aspect to it, but we found there's a future aspect to it as well. That when we stand before Christ and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When we've persevered, when we, 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 have, we have remained faithful to Christ, even amidst all the stuff that's been going on in our lives, that, that, that there, there is a reward for those who do. Uh, that, 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 that there's a reward for those who, who, who continue to remain faithful uh, in their walk with the Lord. And, and so he talks to them about that and, and these truths to encourage them, to help them to, 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 to keep them from, from the identity crisis that they're going through. That they're not just people who have, been, who have been transported away from their homeland. That they're not just people who have been persecuted by the Roman government. But they're more than that. These truths, however, are not just to be understood. Peter isn't telling them this just to kind of give them a rah, rah, rah. You know, you know uh, kind of thinking the fact that if, if, you, if you think about this, that, that you can, you know, you, you, you'll feel a whole lot better about yourself if you can just think about this. These truths, however, are not just to be understood, but to be appropriated in a way that affects the reality of their conduct. The reality of their conduct. Uh, we read in the text in verse 13, the first word there, therefore. It, it's, a, it's a strong conjunction. It's the word deo. And, and, and you could translate it this way. For this reason. For this reason. What reason? The reasons that he's been talking about earlier. Who we are. What we have. Uh, what, 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 what's the possibility of us obtaining uh, the rewards that are there for, for, for those who walk faithfully with the Lord. And, and who we are, our identity in Christ. 
And he says, for, for this reason, the tr- these truths about who we are are not just so that they can give us a pick-me-up when things are going bad. That they don't just give us a pat on the back when life gets discouraging. These truths are designed and given to us by God so that we can live differently. That we live, uh, even though we are foreigners and strangers in this kingdom, we live in such a way that we are kingdom representatives uh, for for the kingdom that's going to last, for the kingdom that is going to remain. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This paragraph that we took the time to read in verses 13 through 21 <clears throat> contains four imperatives or four exhortations or, or four commands which describe that response. Because of who we are, then this, we're, we're, we're exhorted to do this, we're exhorted to do this, we're exhorted to do this, and we're exhorted to do this. Four imperatives or exhortations are described, are used to describe that our response. And it's a response that is based upon the character of God and upon each believer's new status in their father-child relationship with God. If you look at verse 14, he starts out as obedient children. Next week, we'll look at verses 14 through 16. And basically, the idea is going to be like father, like son. Like father, like son. And he talks to them about this because we are, because God is our father, these things need to be evident in our life. And Peter is exhorting them that in spite of their circumstances, in spite of their circumstances, They need to live out their identity. What's going around me doesn't affect who I am, my identity in Christ. The circumstances that I face does not change who I am in Christ. And because of that, Peter says that that in spite of what may be happening, I need to live out my identity. I need to be what I am. They need to live what they are. This is who I am. This is how I'm supposed to live. Because even though this might be happening to me, even though I am a foreigner and stranger on this earth and in this culture, that, that's part of who I am. But who, I, who also what, who I am is that I'm a child of God. Now, Verses 13 through 16 contains two of those imperatives. And those imperatives, as we study these verses, those two imperatives have to govern our understanding of this passage. Uh, grammatically, it's, it, 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 these two imperatives govern how they're set up, the, the phrases, and so but they, they govern this. And, and, and the first imperative or command is found in verse 13. Set your hope. Set your hope. It's an imperative. It's an exhortation. The second command is found in verse 15 where he says, Be holy. Be holy. These verses help explain how we obtain the current and future salvation of our souls. This is the conduct that if we want want our lives to grow in Christ... If we want our lives to, to, to uh, uh, show forth the character of Christ, 
doing these things is not going to lessen our grief. Doing these things are not going to keep us uh, uh, from having uh, difficulties. Doing these things are not going to lessen the pain of our experiences. But doing these things will help those experiences and that pain and that suffering and that difficulty have purpose and have meaning as God uses these horrible things that happen in our life and transforms us and makes us into the image of His Son so that others can see that our God is worthy to be praised. Our God is worthy to be served. We don't serve Him and worship Him because He gives us the goodies. We serve Him and worship Him because He is a good and compassionate and great and loving and merciful and just God. And that's what Peter is stressing and bringing home this point to us, that that these are the things, if, 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 if these, this should be our response to who we are. And these, these verses explain how we obtain the current and future salvation of our souls. And in these, in verses 13 through 16, part of it is we set our hope and we be holy. We set our hope and be holy. The first command is all we're going to get to today. And the first command is simply this, set your hope. Set your hope. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 13, Peter informs us regarding the character and content of our hope and its present realization. The character of our hope. What is biblical hope? What is biblical hope? The word that's translated hope is the word elpizo. Elpizo. And, and, and basically, this word can be found in two different domains, and the domains are very similar. There, there's not much, not much difference between the two, but, but the difference is very slight. Uh, this word can either have this idea. It can come under the heading, mean to look forward with confidence uh, to that which is good and beneficial. To look forward with confidence to that, to that which is good and beneficial. Or to expect with the implication of some benefit. And, and, and again, there, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. But, but basically as you look for what, when, when, when this word is used throughout the New Testament, this is more, this is not a wish for the future kind of thinking. You know, well, well, my hope and my, you know, you know, the, you know, the, the way that they used to you know, like mock the Miss, Miss America pageant. And, and, and what is your goal? Uh, my goal is world peace, you know. You know, it was kind of the thing that, you know, that, that, that's my goal, you know, world peace. Uh, you know, that, that's, not what this is, that, that's not this kind of hope. This kind of hope is rather an assurance that what is hoped for will certainly come to pass. That what I'm promised is going to come to pass. That, 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 the, the, that what God has laid out is going to occur. I don't have to cross my fingers and cross my legs and, 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 and cross my arms and cross my eyes if I could do that. You know, cross everything that I can cross and, and hope some way, somehow, that, that, that it's going to happen. Now, this is an assurance. This is a confidence that rests in the character of God. God said it and it will come to pass. For, for the believer, this future hope that we have is anchored in a past event. And that past event 
is the resurrection and ascension and glorification of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because Christ came out of that grave, because He did, it is proof positive, it is physical evidence to me and to you that what God says, He will do. That the promises that God has given us are based in the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's the character of our hope. It's certain. It's sure. Now, it may not appear like it. It may not seem like it. You can look around at the world today and wonder, where is God? What's He doing? Cry out the same cry that Habakkuk cries out. Lord, when are you going to do something about this mess? And that's really not what... I mean, Habakkuk was getting a whole lot more than what he bargained for when he asked that question. Because God said, I am doing something. And Habakkuk says, about time. And God says, well, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to destroy the nation. And God, Habakkuk says, whoa, 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 oh, oh, there, Charlie, you know. Hang on just a second. You know, let's not get that drastic. Let's not, let's not, let's not quite take things that far. But we can trust and we can have confidence that what God has promised, God is going to do. That's the character of my hope. Even though my circumstances may not cry out to that, even though my circumstances may not testify to that, I have a fixed and sure hope. Well, what's the content of that hope? What's the content of that hope? Look at verse 13 again. He says, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, Set your hope, here it is, fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is that past, present, or future? Future. Future grace. That's my hope. That's your hope. It is future grace. Well, what is eschatological grace? What is future grace? We, don't, we can go right back in the chapter that we're in. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. A future inheritance. Look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. That's future. The outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls, even though there's a current aspect to that as well, which is still a current in the sense that it's in this lifetime. It's in this lifetime. But these, this is the eschatological grace. The grace that God will give me, my hope is in the fact that He's molding me and changing me and conforming me into the image of Christ, which makes me a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, it makes me a better pastor. It makes me a better brother in Christ. It makes me a better citizen of, 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 of where I live. It makes me a better neighbor. It makes me a, a more pleasant person to be around. It makes me a person that, 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 that people can see my good deeds and give honor to my Father in heaven. That, that future grace that's molding me and shaping me, that future grace of when I stand before Him and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of our Lord. That future grace, that, that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, that is outside of this world, that can't be touched. 
by, by what the Fed does, whether or not they raise interest rates or not going to raise interest rates, whether oil prices skyrocket or oil prices tank, whether real estate continues its meteoric rise or sooner or later when the bubble bursts and it goes back down. That inheritance is not affected by anything of this world. That's future grace. That's future grace. And that is the focus of our hope while we experience the trials, suffering, and disappointments of life on this planet. That's how I've got to focus. Because of who I am. Because of who I am. That's what I'm commanded to do. The things around me are difficult. The things that I'm experiencing are painful. The things that that I'm walking through are hard. But that's not where my focus needs to be if I am going to come out on the other side more like Christ. My focus is upon the future grace. And notice, this focus must be our sole focus. He says, we are to set our hope fully. Fully. Teleos. Teleos. Fully. Completely. Uh, A form of this word is what Jesus used on the cross when he said, it's finished. Teleos. It's finished. It's complete. It's been brought to pass. It's fully, completely. That's where we need to set our hope. The hope of future reward is where we need to fix our vision. God, help me to be faithful to you during this time so that your character might grow in me. And when I stand before you, I stand before you and hear, well done. That's the focus. When when my circumstances are telling me to abandon the faith, when my circumstances are telling me to turn my back, when my circumstances are telling me to quit, when my circumstances are discouraging me and I doubt God, I have to have my focus on the future grace that awaits me. The hope of future reward is where we need to fix our vision rather than the hopes that are offered here which are transitory and corrupt and which we see exactly how Satan tempts Jesus. You're hungry, Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. Satisfy your need, your physical need at this moment. And Jesus says, man, don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Was Jesus hungry? You bet he was. (laughs) Would Jesus would have liked just a bite of bread? You bet he would have. But he was going to fast until God told him the fast is over. He wasn't going to break the fast because of a physical desire. He he looked towards the future. Towards the future. Satan tells him, if you'll bow before me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Why go to the cross? Why experience the separation from the Father? Why experience the physical pain? Why experiencing being rejected by the the very people that you came to save will spit on you. They'll turn their back on you. The very people that should love you the most are going to hate you the most. 
Why go through all that when all you got to do is bow, submit, and I'll give it all to you? And Jesus says, no. I'll take the suffering. I'll take the suffering. Because his suffering would lead to a greater glorification. That's what we're talking about. That's where his eyes are fixed, and we'll see it again in a moment. But here's the problem. Here's my problem. Each and every day I interact with the cultural and, and, and experiential sensory overload of life in this present world. My experience says, throw up your hands. I'm hurting. I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't, I'm tired of the hard way. I'd like it to be easy just once. Living for Christ is hard. Trying to be a loving husband is difficult. Try, uh, the, taking the time to invest in the spiritual lives of your children and grandchildren can be taxing. There's a lot to get done. Houses need to be maintained. Lawns need to be mowed. Work needs to be accomplished. Bills need to be paid. And then on top of that, you deal with, deal with sickness and, and deal with uncertainties and, and deal with the perplexities and, and the difficulties and, 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 and health issues and all these other things that come our way in life. And, and it's just so much easier, so much easier to grab that momentary comfort, that momentary relief, that momentary experience of calm. And we face it every day. We have a flesh that cries out for us. We have a culture that says it should be ours. We deserve it. And while we may do things to lessen the effects of that siren call, we cannot escape it. We're in this world. We're still in these bodies of flesh that, that have been affected and, and, and will remain affected by, by the depravity of sin. So how do we become a person? How do we become men? How do we become women who conduct our lives with a future-oriented grace mindset? And our text tells us. Our text tells us, it tells us that we need to have a mental resolve to act with the final outcome in mind. Look again at verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. If you have a King James Bible, it uses the Hebrew idiom there. Gird up the loins of your mind. It uses that idiom. Again, you're familiar with, 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 with the illustration. Again, in that day and time, men wore long robes. And if they were getting ready to work, or if they were getting ready to fight, or if they were getting ready to run, they would take that robe, and they would take it, and they would grab it up above their knees, and they would put, take a leather belt, or they'd, stuck, they'd stuff it in, so that way they had freedom of movement with their legs. You ladies know, I don't know, it's hard, if you're wearing a long dress or a long skirt, it's hard to kick somebody in that. If some of you men know about it, I don't want to know that you know about it, okay? But, but anyhow, you know, we... we you, you take that up and tuck that in so you can run better. You run better when, you can move your, when your knees have got freedom of movement. You can fight and kick better when you're doing that. You can work better when your legs are able to move up and down like that. And he says, that's what we need to do with our mind. 
and the ESV translates it and interprets it this way. It takes that idiom, gird up the loins of your mind, preparing your mind for action. And the mind here is not just a reference to the intellect, but it's dealing with our motives. It's dealing with our attitude. It's our mindset. Our mindset. Is my mindset one that I, I, I'm going to focus on the future rather than on what's happening now, that future grace that God has promised us? How does this mindset occur? You could translate verse 13 this way. Therefore, preparing your minds for action by being sober-minded. Therefore, preparing your minds for action by being sober-minded. The, the, the phrase there, sober-minded, actually modifies the idea of preparing your mind for action. It helps explain what preparing your mind for action means. It means sobriety, being sober-minded. You prepare your mind for action by being sober. Now, he's not talking about not being physically drunk. He's talking about not being mentally drunk. You say, well, how do you get mentally drunk? Well, he means when, when, when you're sober, you have clarity. So mental slopes, uh, mental slope, you know, mental, mental sobriety, that, you know, that really sounds like I'm sober this morning, huh? Mental sobriety means I have clarity of thinking. I'm thinking well. I'm right-headed in my thinking. My thinking is being controlled by, by, by the Scriptures, by the truth of who God is. There's clarity in my thinking. There's clarity of thinking. There's self-control in my thinking. There's restraint in my thinking. There's moderation in my thinking, which avoids excess in passion, rashness, or confusion. Isn't it, maybe you've never done this. I'm, I'm sure you have. I have. Isn't it funny how you can be thinking about something and you can get mad without needing that person being there? You know? Your heart gets racing. Your blood gets boiling. And you're just thinking. You're just thinking. And, and when that happens, we're allowed, we're, our thinking is no longer... Uh, we're, we're not disciplined in our thinking. Our thinking has been consumed. There's no restraint in our thinking, no self-control. We're allowing our passions to control our thinking, to control our mindset. And as believers, believers, we we are to focus our hope on the future grace of Christ by sober thinking. By sober thinking. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we how do we soberly think? so that we can focus on the future grace of Christ. Well, a couple things. First of all, prepare your mind prior to and when hard times come. If we wait until hard times come to prepare our mind, we're probably not going to do very well. So we need to prepare before that time comes. We get in God's Word. We, 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 we practice our spiritual disciplines, not so we can check off boxes, but so that we can grow and that God can, can, can build us. It, it's kind of like, you know, uh, those that, again, we use the illustration of football. They, they just don't work a few hours on Sunday. You know, they've got to prepare, prepare their minds and their bodies. They get one day, one day off during the week of football season. And they're watching film day in and day out and day in and day out to learn the tendencies of their enemy. 
to learn the tendencies of the opponent. That when, that when they line up this way, that this is a possibility, that this is the play that's going to be. They spend hours and hours in the weight room so that their muscles are ready to go. Uh, time in the sauna or time, time in the whirlpool, whatever, to, to, to heal the thing. They, they, they make all this preparation so that those two hours, two and a half hours on Sunday, they can be at their best and execute well, both mentally and physically. So when the battle comes, they're ready. They're ready. It's the same thing in the military. You go through training over and over and over and over and over and over and over ad nauseum so that when the time comes, it's automatic. Your mind is ready. Your body is ready. And it's the same thing for us spiritually. If we wait to go to the Lord when the trouble comes, if we wait to open our Bibles when the trouble comes, if we wait to get on our knees when the trouble comes, we're already behind the eight ball. We're already behind the eight ball. So we prepare our minds prior to and when hard times come. And when those hard times come and the doubt comes and the discouragement comes and the disillusionment comes and and all the things that come with that, we, we remind ourselves of what we've learned, of what we know about God. We go to others and allow them to speak the Word of God into our to our lives and into our hearts. But also sober-minded, we think about our life experiences with clarity by filtering those experiences through Christ's future grace. Suffering doesn't make any sense outside of Jesus Christ. It doesn't. Pain doesn't make any sense outside of Jesus Christ. It doesn't. We live in a broken world. We are broken people living in a broken world. We are not exempt from the pain and the difficulties and the circumstances of life. Lost people get cancer and so do saved people. Lost people die from Alzheimer's and so do saved people. Lost people experience the betrayal of adultery and so do saved people. Lost people experience relationships that are fractured and so do believers. So do believers. So what's the difference? The difference is, and it's not trite, the difference is that we know God works all things together for our good. That's the difference. That's the difference. That this which is designed by Satan to destroy me, that God will take it and use it to grow me. It doesn't lessen the pain. It doesn't make the hurt go away. It doesn't make the doubts and fears and uncertainties to completely cease. But it does give me hope that there's a purpose in this that God is accomplishing in my life. And that He will use it not only to grow me in my life, but He will use it that the comfort that He's comforted me with, that I'm going to be able to take that same comfort and help somebody else with it as they walk through it. I want you to listen to this next sentence. Hard ethical choices are impossible for those who do not have their minds fixed on the final outcome. 
on future grace. Hard ethical choices are impossible for those who do not have their minds fixed on their final outcome or on future grace. Because sometimes that's the only thing that will help you make the right decision. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an account for this moment. And I want him to be pleased with my choices. Hard ethical choices are impossible for those who do not have their minds fixed on the final outcome. That's why as believers, I've been here. Where I say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Don't care. Don't care. But when I recognize and I think about the fact that, Greg, you're going to give an account for this. Greg, this is an opportunity for growth in your life. Greg, this is an opportunity to show that you demonstrate your love for, love for Christ by obeying, being obedient to Him in this area. And Greg, this is an opportunity, though you won't deserve it, but yet it's all of God's grace, and yet God said He'll do it, reward you for your faithful perseverance in this issue. When I think that way, the choice is easier to make. Instead of living for the moment, I'm living for the future. Where is your mind fixed? Where's your mind fixed? It's fixed somewhere. And that gaze can change all the time. It, it happens to all of us. But wh where's my mind fixed? Where's my gaze? Where's my hope? What's the content of your hope? Is the content of your hope in who controls the White House or Congress? Is, is the content of your hope that that Jesus is going to come back and we're, going to get all, we're all going to get out of this mess. I mean, Jesus is just kind of, I mean, and when I say that, I mean that Jesus basically just becomes kind of like the escape, you know, we're out of here. And I'll be honest, there's times I feel that way. You know, just get us out of this mess. <laughs> but when I say that, you know, not all the time, but a lot of times it's just because I'm tired of dealing with it. <laughs> I'm just tired of dealing with it. Where's, what's the content of my hope? Is, is it something that's on this earth? Is it, is it in my marriage? Is it in, in, my, in, my, in my, my children? Is it in my grandchildren? Is it in my church? Is it, is it in a retirement account? I mean, where, what is the content of my hope? And the content of my hope needs to be in the fact of the future grace of Jesus Christ. The grace that He's going to come, as the text says, that, it, the, the, uh, that our, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when He comes and, he, and, and you stand before Him, the grace that He will bestow upon you when He says, when He, when he puts His arms around you and when He gives you a big old bear hug and He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, brother. Well done. And we know it's all of grace. We know it's because of His grace. So what's our confidence? Our confidence in setting our hope. How can we do this? 
our confidence, and just go back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 12. We read this last time. Our confidence in setting our hope is found in our identification with Christ. Do you know why I know this is possible for you? I, you know why I know this is possible for me? is because we are in Christ. We're in Christ. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and again, as we went through the book of Hebrews, if you remember, this is not a, a, a stand up in, in heaven where they've got their pom-poms and they're, and they're waving their, their flags and they're saying, Go, Greg, go! Go, Greg, go! You know, you know, you know kick the goal! You know, whatever. Go, Greg, go! You know, Again, oh, the Carl's not here. I'm going to say there's my rapping career again. Uh, but, you know, but here you've got, you know, it's, it's not that. It's not, come on, Greg, you can do it. No, the idea, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, is look at these examples. And if they can do it, you can. If Moses can do it, you can do it. Moses got so sick and tired of the people, he said, shall I make this water come out of the rock for you? Kabam! And God said, you're not going. You're not going. Or how about good old David? And his... I mean, let's welcome David to our fellowship. He just got out of prison for murder. Let's give him the right hand of fellowship this morning. Or Samson... Or Sarah, God's going to give me a child. (laughs) Yeah. Or Abraham. Sarah, listen, I'm I'm a little bit worried about, you're you're such a hot babe. I'm afraid that when we go in these towns, these other kings are going to kind of see you, and they're going to want you. And you know what? I'm, I'm kind of fearful for my life. And I mean, I love you, Sarah, but I'm not really ready to die for you. So you just tell them that you're my sister. And she gets taken into two harems. And Abraham gets money for one of them. That's Hebrews 11. Flawed people. Flawed people like me and like you. But he says, seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And then here comes their mindset Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's do it. Let's run that race that is set before us. Let's persevere. Let's endure that race that is your particular race and that race that is my particular race. Endure. And and here is where they need to set their hope. Looking. To Jesus, there's the gaze, there's the fixed gaze. The founder and perfecter of our faith, the pioneer. He's the pioneer, he's the perfecter. He is, and, 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 and the writer of Hebrews doesn't use his name Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ. He emphasizes his humanity here, looking to Jesus. To Jesus. Human, as much as I am, as much as you are the founder and perfecter of our faith, our example extraordinaire. He blazed the trail. He did it 100% unlike you and I. Why? 
because of where his hope was set, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was his hope? That his suffering would lead to glory. That's his hope. He endured the cross. He despised the shame for the joy of the glory which he would receive. That's it. That's it. So we need to set our hope. Consider him. Think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In what? In running your race. In running your race. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's how we do it. We fix our eyes upon Christ. We, 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 We gird the loins of our minds. We think with sobriety. We prepare our minds for action. As Paul would say, we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We make sure that we are spending time in God's Word, that we make sure that we're, we're reading those things and listening to those podcasts and, and doing those things that help build our faith, to grow our faith, so that when the hard time comes, and it will come, we'll be ready. We'll be ready. In Hebrews 11, I want you to look at Hebrews 11. Don't don't put this up yet, guys, this next slide. Let me read through Hebrews 11 here and then make the comment. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verses 13 through 16. He's talking about all the names, Abraham and Noah and Cain, and mentions all these names, and Sarah. Then look what he says. These all died in faith, getting everything that they were promised. Right? Uh Uh-uh. These all died in faith, getting most of what they promised. Nope. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But, having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for He has prepared for them a city. And here's the point. The resolve of your perseverance will be determined by the focus of your hope. The resolve of your perseverance will be determined by the focus of your hope. How were they able to live a life generally not completely, but an overall life of faithfulness. When they failed, yet they they repented, they got back to the Lord. How were they able to do that when they did not receive the promises made to them? 
because they recognized that these promises, they would much rather have future grace and what Christ is bringing in the future than having their hope in anything physical in this world. The resolve of your perseverance will be determined by the focus of your hope. If your hope is in this world, if your hope is in a person, if your hope is in your marriage, if your hope is in this church, if your hope is in this pastor, if your hope is in relationships, if your hope is in your job, if your hope is in your political affiliation, if your hope is in your 401k, your perseverance is not going to be that long. But if the focus of your hope is the fact that our Savior is coming back, and when he comes back, he'll be bringing with him future eschatological grace to bestow upon those who have been faithful. Been faithful. You'll hold on. You'll say, you know what? This hurts. But what I might have to give up for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, what I might have to endure for the next decade, nothing compared to eternity. <laughs> nothing compared to the millennium. Nothing compared to what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's nothing. So by God's grace and His strength, I'll persevere. I'll persevere. Our world's changing. Our country's changing. Robert sent me some articles this week that were nothing that I didn't know, but it was shocking to see just how prevalent it is. Our culture is nowhere close to being a Christian culture anymore. Now, we can either boo-hoo and cry about it, I feel like we're victims, or... We see it as an opportunity to live out our faith and persevere and show forth the praise and the glory and the wonder of who God is. I don't like to make this statement. I don't want to make this statement because I love my grandchildren, but it's going to be a whole lot harder for them to live for the Lord than it has been for me. But with that also comes the opportunity for their faith to shine in ways that I don't want to say mine won't or mine didn't because we each have to minister and serve in our own generation. But with a price also comes a reward. Fix your eyes on Jesus today and the future grace that he brings when he will be revealed. Fix your focus. Then fix your focus. Fix your focus, and then fix your focus. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the, your word and for the hope that is found there. Thank you for the grace that is given to us by the power of the Spirit of God. Father, help us. Help us to grow. Give us the grace that we need to fix our focus upon the grace that will be ours at the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Encourage us. Help us. Lord, cause us to repent where we need to repent and 
Lord, cause us to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged and that you would lift up our hands, strengthen our feeble knees. Father, cause us to praise you and, to, and, 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 and not to cower in a corner, not to be belligerent, not to be ugly, not to be rude, but with confidence and an assurance and a certainty without any timidity. Father, we'd be able to give an answer for the reasons for what we believe. That we do it in love and not in arrogance, in humility and not in pride, in concern for other people, not to demonstrate our superiority or our supposed superiority. And Father, as the culture becomes darker, it gives the opportunity for the light to shine more vividly and more bright. And so, Father, we pray today, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us. You would help us to live in such a way that we will end our lives in faithfulness. That we will live our lives in, in a way that brings glory to God. Lord, help us in those times when the storms are few, the waves are small to gain the strength that we need so that when the time comes, Father, that we're ready for them. And we can move forward in faith in the strength and power of your grace. Bless your people today. Encourage their hearts. Thank you for their perseverance. Thank you, Father, for their desire to walk with you. Encourage them, strengthen them. Or the areas where, they, where, where we struggle, the areas where our faith is tested and stretched the most, Father. Help us to be honest and to answer those questions and to, and to wrestle with those issues. And Father, we're going to trust you to bring us to the safe shore. Lord, for those who are not walking with you, I pray you show them their need today and show them the foolishness of, 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 of living a life that doesn't live for the future but lives for now. What they're giving up, what they're tossing away, what they're throwing away. They'll still be with you in heaven. Father, the opportunities to, to experience you in, in a greater capacity, the, the opportunities to serve you in, 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 a, in, a, in a way that, that, that glorifies you. The, uh, Lord, lost. Lost. And we're thankful that you're a God that restores and that you're a God that brings back and that you're a God that, that uh, as Joel said, that, will, uh, that you can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And Lord, as long as we're drawing breath, that we can, we have that hope of change. And Lord, if there's one here today that does not know you, that does not have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus, show them their need today. Father, we thank you for the joy of knowing you. We thank you for the grace that is ours, so abundant and so free. Thank you for the strength that the Spirit of God provides us. 
power which with he enables us with, the resurrected power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to you at this time. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. I'm not, I don't know what your need is today. But we want to give you some time to give us some time to go to the Lord before His throne. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you have questions about it, we can talk with you after the services or at this moment if you'll just cry out to Him in repentance and faith. Repenting of the fact of, 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 of who God is and, and who you are and that what God says is true. You run towards Him instead of away from Him. You believe what He says about Himself, believe what, what He says about Christ and our need of Him, that, that we're sinners, that we're at war with God. And by repentance and faith, we come to Him and experience salvation. Whatever your need is today, we want to give some time for us to have that time of silence before the Lord. Let's do so right now.